Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Crossroads. It is great to be here. It really is. It's a real privilege. And we are carrying on, as mentioned, in our Christmas series, like the Christmas series. Like it's sort of just like sort of there's this bead of sweat that appears on people when you say the word Christmas. If you've been to the plaza this week, sort of like people with furrowed brows, they sort of go, it's the end of November. How can it be the end of November? And we're sort of like, there's this almost this panic in the air. It's sort of this palpable tense that you can feel and it's sort of like only 28 sleeps or something today to go and sort of people like this, this <laughs> the bead of sweat starts to come down their face and and sort of like, and then it sort of builds up and builds up, and then boom, it's the holiday. Sort of like the pressure valve is gone. And I mean, we, we love holidays, don't we? I actually haven't met anyone who says, I hate holidays. I mean, they would be the Grinch. But anyway, uh, you know, like we love holidays. And we have holidays all through the year for all sorts of reasons. Like we have holidays to remember important people like, you know, Queen's birthday, King's birthday. There you go. Sounds funny. We've got King's birthday, he's important. And we've got holidays to remember national events. They're important, like Waitangi Day or remembering fallen soldiers, Anzac Day. Big holiday this week in America, Thanksgiving, which is sort of drifting to New Zealand, I notice. And it's sort of just all these things. Now, I'm, I'm not sure about Christmas, if it's the biggest celebration in the world. I haven't, I haven't actually Googled that, but I, let's go with that. I think it is. And... Christmas as a celebration, as a holiday, has sort of been co-opted a little bit. Hopefully this will work. Hopefully, maybe not. Yes, I'm on. Come on. Nope. Hopefully Diane will be able to get it going for me. So, Christmas anyway, has been co-opted by a guy in a big red suit. (laughs) And he is sort of like not worried about his gym membership, which is laxed. And he's not worried... (laughs) about his carbohydrate intake. He's not counting carbs. And uh, seriously, I am not the Grinch, though, eh? Like, I do, I do genuinely love Christmas. I'm sort of quite partial to the Christmas tree and Christmas lights. I love all that sort of stuff. Christmas ham, very partial to. Christmas carols, they're just great. But, like, the, the difference with Christmas is that sort of wherever... Christianity goes and gets established and Christmas sort of comes hand in hand, Christmas is a celebration that's not a human event, it's a divine event with a divine being. That's, that's the difference. And uh, sort of like, you know, I do love carols. I mean, I do love Christmas carols a lot. I'm quite partial to them. I think they're pretty cool. And I sort of like the old ones we sing, like, you know, the old ones from the 1800s, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But there have been some new real pearlers come out lately. And I did Google this because there's one I really like, and I sort of had visions until my wife stopped me. I had visions of singing that, but, <laughs> but I'm a terrible singer. I've never hit a right note once, so I decided not to. But, oh, no, come on, you can work for me. But anyway... There is this Christmas carol, Mary, Did You Know? And it is just this absolutely stunning Christmas carol. 
And it's a, a Christmas carol which just sort of asks Mary this question, you know, like, did you know the impact your child was going to have? And it just sort of says, did you realise what was going to happen? And what we're going to do now is we're going to go back. We're going to go back to where Jake sort of left off last week. And we're going to pick up the Christmas story. We're going to pick it up right at the beginning, right at the start. And we're going to go and see this girl, Mary. And we're going to see about her child and her child that changes everything. Her child who changes everything for everyone in every place and every time. So if you've got a Bible, we've just got to open it up. We've got to open it up and we're going to turn to the Gospel of Luke. This is where we're carrying on from today. Hopefully, oh yes, here we go. So, if you've got a device, open it up. If you've got a paperback version, open it up. Let's just read this incredible story. So in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and you'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. Now, just before I jump into that, you know, sort of, I think just as I was reading that, there's actually just, that's a cool story. There's just this, almost this beautiful simplicity to it, eh? It's, it's, it's not overly complex. It doesn't sort of fry your brain with anything. I mean, it's just a lovely easy to understand, easy to follow story. And this is why the Christmas story is universally loved. Because, like, it's understandable. You don't need to go to, you know, Dr. Google to find out what's happening or anything like that. You don't need to go to Bible school. You know, children understand it. And that's why children perform this play every year in churches all over the world. Basically, at its heart, it just tells... The story, it's a concise account of the birth of the saviour of the world. And it is beautiful. 
Now, we've got to travel back in time and we've got to go back. So we're going to go way, way back. But as we're travelling back in time, as we travel back, we're going to stop in a very important year. Just before we get back to the angel of Mary, we're going to stop in the year 1977. This is one of the most pivotal years in human history. Because in 1977, the greatest movie ever, and I mean ever, was released. Star Wars. Now, no groaning. I know there are some people out there that don't like Star Wars. I know there are some people that don't care about Star Wars. Or have even seen Star Wars. Philistines. But anyway, <laughs> that, that's not the point. Like in 1977, this is before the internet, this is before spoiler alerts and all that sort of stuff. 1977, when people flooded into the movie theatres to see what the fuss was all about. After this magnificent musical score, da 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 all that sort of stuff, the word Star Wars comes on the screen and then this appears. It says this, episode four, A New Hope. So just roll with me for a bit here. And people were sitting in the picture theatre going, Episode four. What happened to episode one, two, and three? And this was the intent of the guy who wrote the film. He wanted people to sort of come in, enjoy the movie, but sort of ask the question, how did we get to this point? What happened beforehand? Where's episode one, two, and three? And it's a bit like what we've got with the angel and Mary. Why does an angel suddenly appear to basically Mary, who is pretty much a poor peasant girl who lives in the back blocks of Israel, Galilee. And sort of like, you know, if you wanted any power or position or privilege, Jewish cultural identity is always in Jerusalem. I mean, like, Galilee, people look their noses down at Galilee. Like, they had this accent, and, and you know, I don't know, Galilee, it's like... It's like the Siberia to Russia sort of stuff, right? Hold on, I just thought. It's a bit like the Palmist North to New Zealand. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that out loud, but <laughs> brilliant. Anyway, I mean, but we get a bad rap here, eh, in Palmy? We do. Like, but who wouldn't want our weather? <laughs> 11 months of rain, great. Anyway, so this angel appears in the back blocks of Israel to the young girl. Why? And so it's important to understand the context of this whole situation. And so, when the angel appears, God hasn't spoken through his prophets for 400 years. There's this 400-year period of silence. Nothing from God. And what happens now, the end of the prophets to the start of the Gospels, This is going to be the fulfillment of all these prophecies which have happened in what we call the Old Testament. Or, using the Star Wars theme, what's happened in episodes 1, 2, and 3. And right at the very beginning of the Bible, 4,000 years before the angel visits Mary, in the first pages of the Bible, the pinnacle of creation has fallen. Mankind, they've raised this banner up to God and said, we know better, we want out. And this perfect garden has been destroyed. And right here in this garden, 
God is going to actually give the first prophecy. There are four people in the garden. You might not know this. There's God, there's Adam, there's Eve, and there's the serpent, Satan, the devil. And God looks the devil straight in the eye, and he says this to him. Let me read to you from Genesis 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, right here, this is the very first prophecy. Theologians love giving terms to everything. This term is called the Proto-Evangelicon, which basically means the first good news prophecy. And so what's happening here is God is saying there's a figure who's going to come, a Messiah, and he's going to crush the devil. He's going to do a fatal blow to the devil's plans so mankind can get back to God. This is, this is huge. This is what's happening, and this is massive. And prophecy after prophecy, all through the Old Testament, from what Jake said last week from Isaiah, a virgin will give birth. You'll call him Emmanuel. He's God with you. And from the psalmist to King David, prophecy after prophecy, this is the fulfillment of everything. This is what's going to happen. And Mary is at the center of it all. This is seriously episode four. This is a new hope. So let's dive right into it. So back to the passage. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged or betrothed in some versions to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, it says she was betrothed or pledged. Some versions of the Bible say engaged. And like seriously, we don't really talk about people like that now. It's not really in our, I suppose, our, our vocabulary. Like to say you're betrothed to someone, you'd hear the phone ring and you'd pick it up and you'd go, hello, and they'd say, it's 1876 calling, we want our word back. Like, we don't use betrothed or saying you are pledged to someone in our culture. It is foreign. But it was normal back then. Like, back then, parents didn't trust their kids with anything, so they set you up with your future spouse really early on, like, sort of like this, like, I don't know, a couple's pregnant, and they go around to their friend's place, and they're pregnant, and you know how people talk, one couple would say to the other couple, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we had a girl, and you had a boy, and of course the other couple, well, everybody's always too polite to say, well, we don't want to marry into you guys, but of course, oh yeah, that'd be great, I mean, you're getting stitched up, literally, while you're in the womb, and, and so, like, you're going along to kindergarten, and there's a little group of girls playing on one side, and there's a little group of boys, and they're playing in the sandpit. And one of the girls says, hey, you see that boy over there in the sandpit with the spade? And the other little girl says, yeah, I see him. What, the one with the runny nose, and he's got sand stuck to it, and he's licking the spade, and we know what the cat does in the sandpit. And the little girl says, yeah, that boy. That boy is going to be my husband one day. Mum's told me. Well, lucky you. Now, but that's how it was. That's just how it was. And sort of 
Fun fact, well, it's not a fun fact, it's just a fact. Uh, Israel at the time was under full Roman occupation. So the Emperor Augustus, he was obviously concerned about child welfare, so he had set the age limit in which a girl could be married off or betrothed. Ten was the minimum. So very common for young Jewish girls at 12 and 13. They were in this betrothal period. Now, the betrothal period is very different to what we know as engagement. It was a huge ceremony in itself. And then a year later was the marriage ceremony. That's how it worked. And so, like, if uh, you were considered married when you were betrothed, you were considered married, legally married, in every single way to your spouse, except for one thing, the conjugal or bedroom rights sort of stuff, right? And so, like, we don't know how old Mary was at this time. She may have been as young as 12 or 13. Everybody's, I've read, put a maximum age 16, maybe 17. So this is the situations Mary is in. And this betrothal period, serious, like, if you want out, <laughs> if you're saying, like, we often hear people say today, it's not you, it's me, I'm out. No, if you wanted out, it was divorce. It's a big deal. And so in that year of betrothal or pledging, both parties had a good, important job to do. The guys, they had to go and prepare a house for their bride. And, you know, sort of back then, no prefab housing. Uh, imagine today, guys who are about 15 or 16 sort of pledge to someone. <laughs> they can't get off Xbox. But anyway, <laughs> you've got to prepare a house for the wife. And so most of them, well, you know, they just sort of built a room onto their parents' home. <laughs> who wouldn't want to live with the in-laws, eh? <laughs> Brilliant. Here you go. That's mum and dad, by the way. Anyway, so... For the girl during that year, her job was to remain pure and faithful. Getting pregnant is not an option. It's not an option. Now, we don't know everything about Mary. We don't. We don't know if she was the smartest girl in school. Could have been, not sure, doesn't say. We don't know if she was the prettiest girl in Galilee. But we do know this about her from her answers. What I've read out and if you keep on reading the rest of the chapter. We know this about her. She's not petty. She's not petulant. And she's not pretentious. And she's not proud. But she is pure. And when I mean pure, I don't mean that she's never sinned. I don't mean that. She has sinned like everybody else and needs a saviour just like everybody else. But her heart is humble and she is devoted to God. She loves God. And we see a lot about Mary in the story, but we also see a lot about God here. We see that God is not interested in the razzle-dazzle. God is not interested that Mary doesn't have position or privilege or power. But he's interested in her heart. And this is the point. If you want to be used by God, 
Check your heart. God is not interested in those people that think they're all that, that they're too cool for school, and quite frankly, God would be lucky to have them on his side. No. The Bible is full of verses, chocker full of verse after verse after verse of this sort of stuff. Let me read to you from First, oh, first Peter. Oh, I've completely lost it now. <laughs> oh, well, I'll read to you from First Peter anyway. I'll find it. Let me read to you from First Peter. I wonder if I can go back. Oh, yep. Oh, it's gone crazy. There we are, First Peter. 5 verse 6. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is what's happening here. The angel's turned up and says, greetings, favoured one. In other words, God is pouring his grace upon you. God is with you. God is on your side. This is what she's hearing. And she's sort of startled, and she sees she's confused, and she's sort of standing there in her living room, and she's looking and thinking, what do you mean, sort of slightly scary individual that's just sort of popped up in my living room, and you didn't walk through the front door, and you're glowing? What does this all mean? And then the angel drops the boom. He says this. Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favour with God. You will be with child. And you give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. And be called the son of the most high The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. But how can this happen? Mary answered, since I'm a virgin. We're going to chop back and forth a bit. And so Mary, talking to the angel, the angel says, you're going to conceive You're going to give birth to a son. Now look, Mary is pure and she is humble. But don't mistake that for naivety. She's not naive. She knows that a baby just doesn't suddenly come along and appear in her womb. I suppose to put it bluntly, Mary knows that she needs a man for this. It just doesn't happen. Like, this is impossible. And this is what we're going to see now. We're going to see the miracle of this holy conception. We're going to see the impossible happen because nothing is impossible for God. The impossible, a pregnant virgin, is going to become possible. So let's see. And so there's this back and forth between Mary and the angel. And then the angel answers this. He says this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And this is, you could say, the miraculous conception. This is the virgin birth. And uh, there's been libraries written on this. So I'm going to try and explain it as easily as I can. So I won't try and bore you with biology, but here we go. In your body, you've got cells, cells, millions, billions, trillions of cells. You've got all these cells, 
Like you've got skin cells and brain cells and liver cells, all these cells in your body, and in these cells there are 46 chromosomes in every single cell, except your reproductive cells. They have 23 chromosomes. This is your genetic makeup. So you get half your DNA from mum and you get half your DNA from dad to make the 46. So what we have here is we have the Holy Spirit, the power of God, passing over Mary's womb. And just like that, snap, Mary's egg is fertilised. And she will conceive and she's going to have a baby boy and she's going to have like a normal pregnancy and she's going to get bigger and the baby's going to kick, all that sort of stuff. And she will give birth to the God-man. Fully God and fully man. God is his father. You could sort of say it like this. He's got the DNA of God. He's the exact representation of God in the flesh. He's the son of God. Now, that, that Christmas carol that I mentioned earlier, there's this neat little line in it. You've got to listen to it one day. Should I sing it? Mm, probably not. Let's have a go. It says this, Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby boy, you kiss the face of God. And this is who she is going to give birth to. God, as Jake said it last week, Emmanuel, God with us. And the thing is, sometimes it's hard, hard for some people to get their head around this miracle, a virgin birth. But I think sometimes it's not so much that, it's perhaps the perception of people's ability to understand the total and absolute power that God has. Nothing is impossible for him. On the first page of the Bible, it says this, that the earth was formless, it was void, there was nothing. God passes over and he speaks and life springs forward. Mary's womb is like that. It's void. There's nothing. God passes over and life will spring forward. This is the miracle of conception. This is the big deal. And what a son he will be. The angelic annunciation. The angel says, you are going to call him Jesus. In the angel's announcement, we get the whole mission of Jesus. Jesus itself, Yeshua, is a derivative of Jehovah saves. It's a shortened version of it. In other words, as Matthew puts it, he will save the people from their sins. Here's the mission of Jesus right away. And then the angel says, hey, he is going to be great. Well, you can tick that one off from the history books. Nobody is more influential than Jesus. Nobody's more famous than Jesus. Nobody even comes close to Jesus on the world history stage. Like he's number one, daylight second. Actually, he made daylight, so he's number one and two. So like, that's pretty good. And so, I mean, this is the thing. Jesus, nobody can outpower him. Nobody can outthink him. Nobody can outexceed him. Nobody can outmatch him. Nobody can outdo him. 
Nobody can outachieve him. This is who he is. He's great. And he says this absolute clangor of a statement. It's possibly one of my favorite Bible verses. Jesus says this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, he is the exact representation of God in the flesh. He's great, not because he learned greatness. He's great because he possesses it. It's innate in him. He's incredible. He's the most incredible figure in history. And the thing is, it is only Jesus that can fix the mess that was made in the garden. And this is part of the Christmas story that is often overlooked. It says this, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. Jesus one day is coming back to establish his kingdom in fullness. He will establish this earthly kingdom and anybody who has followed him and loves him will be raised to life in immortal bodies and rule and reign with him in this earthly kingdom over the nations for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, Jesus sets up his eternal kingdom. And this is where it gets interesting. Remember how I said that the bridegroom had to go away and build his bride a house. Well, this is what Jesus has been doing. And he is going to bring literally heaven to earth. This heaven is going to have in it the renewed garden that was destroyed the tree of life, and the rivers of living waters will flow from it. This is what Mary has just been told, this young girl. This is who her son is going to be and is going to do. Just, just sort of imagine at that age, sort of trying to cope with all those thoughts in just that short period of time. Like, first of all, what's Joseph going to think? What are the people in this town going to think? Like, you know, like, there will be public ridicule and scorn. And everybody questioned Mary about who was the dad, because they certainly questioned Jesus during his ministry years. That never went away. And so all this is going on in Mary's mind. And it's her answer that just leaves us breathless. And she says this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. This is perfect submission. This is such a beautiful, gracious, humble answer. What she's saying here is I choose to go wherever you tell me to go. I choose to do whatever you tell me to do. No matter what it costs, if it costs me my time or my energy or my resources or my relationship status or even my life, I choose to do what the Lord has said. Here's the kicker. May it be to me as you have said. And this is why this story 
is celebrated. And this is why we sing all these years later. This is why the Christmas carols still keep on coming out. And talking about one of those Christmas carols, let me leave you with one of these verses. Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? The child that you deliver will soon deliver you. Let's just pray and give thanks to God for this wonderful season, our great deliverer. Oh Lord God, we just come to you today and we thank you for this special season. We thank you that you came to this young girl and that she was humble and willing and she took it on and that Lord that she needed you as much as we need you and Father we thank you for your great deliverance that you've delivered us from the power of death we thank you that you care so much for us and that you'll raise us to life Lord we thank you for this season may you be glorified forever in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content. But thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.